Right now, if you're scaffing, critting, screeding, H-backing, dunny diving, or electricianing, sparking, then you don't want to be sitting on the side of the road with a work truck that's smoking. You could get an insurance company that includes roadside assistance for when your work truck ain't starting and needs towing. Get onto truckassist.com.au. It's insurance to keep on earning and bacon and egg rolling. Limits and exclusions apply. Consider the PDS and TMD on the Truck Assist website. This week on Full Credit to the Noise, Guerrilla Marketing Strikes Mount Panorama, the Bathurst 500 signs a huge music act, and Tickford gets some coke. Welcome to Full Credit to the Noise. Well, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Full Credit to the Noise, episode 3 AVL. You can find this podcast on Twitter at FCTTN Podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at former underscore legend. You can find the bloke across from me on Twitter at AVL underscore motorsport. He's on Instagram at AVL.motorsport, and he's on Pinterest at AVL.arts and crafts. He's a man who this week got a bad case of Taylor Swift fever. He's single handedly kept the Bathurst license premises industry afloat and tonight he's wearing a full credit to the noise sticker on his forehead welcome to speed cafes andrew van lewin thank you for that highly accurate intro former as per usual and let me tell you i usually end up on the first flight out of perth whenever i travel east and i'm usually the only person in the entire airport not wearing high vis at that time of morning but not last week when i came over here to uh to sydney on the way to bathurst for the 12 hour i was the only person not wearing a pink cowboy hat and boots in the entire airport I'm pretty sure my entire flight was Swifties heading east, so um, it was a fairly large departure from what I'm used to. You should get around Sydney Airport around Mardi Gras time, mate. It is a sight to behold, I'll tell you. Um, well, we had a big weekend, mate. First of mm. all, let me kick off by saying thanks to Richard Crail and the Bathurst 12-hour team for looking after me on the weekend. And a shout-out to all those people working around the track that probably don't get a mention in usual circumstances, the flaggies, the people on the gates, uh, everyone who helps to make the Repco 12-hour a world-class event. Thanks mainly to Red Top Soccer Club who fed me for base of the weekend. Um, oh, nice. Congrats. Congrats to A. Hankin, Gulvin, Lawrence Vantor, and Matt Campbell. I hope I pronounced that last one correctly. Uh, in the Grello Mante Porsche, mate. It was a funny race, wasn't it? Um, they seemed to have the pace all day, but at the same time, you just kept thinking one of these uh, drive throughs seems to be whacking everyone. We'll get them in the end, but I think the right car won on the uh, weekend, wouldn't you say? I think that uh, those Porsche guys played a pretty smart BOP game across the event as a whole, which is obviously super important um, mm. at that event to get that right and to not show your hand too early and end up copping a whack before you uh, before you know the big dance comes around. So I think they were pretty smart in the way they played that. You know, Campbell just squeaking into the shootout and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think they obviously had a fair bit uh, up their sleeve and they got a few things to go their way, BOP-wise, just before the race and it kind of all, all played out for them. But... Always a great story when Matt wins. Those guys drove amazingly. You just sort of knew once Matt got out front, he was going to know exactly what to do, and uh, he wasn't going to let that one slip. Uh, It was definitely a funny old race. I mean, I kind of think the whole point of these really long races is that, you know, you have all these strategic elements that come into play, and suddenly we were limiting guys on stint lengths and that sort of stuff that really didn't go down all that well with uh, a lot of competitors, particularly if they happen to be racing an AMG. Um... I think there was probably a bit of good fortune with the rain and the timing of the last safety car to create a bit of interest because the early parts of the race, it sort of felt like, you know, it was everyone was sort of penned into doing the same thing and there wasn't necessarily a whole bunch of, uh, of really interesting stuff going on. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's tough to argue that it wasn't a good race in the end because, you know, it was. Well, it's, a, it's funny, isn't it? The way they do the parody on the run during the weekend, cars were getting and losing 10 kilos of weight midway through the meeting. I was speaking to one Aussie driver on Saturday. I won't name him, but he was working with an international team on the weekend. Like I said, I won't name him, but his initials are David Reynolds. And he told me that some of the games teams were playing to ensure they weren't smashed with a parody stick is absolutely unbelievable. But speaking of Dave, he's... um, 
team seen more drive-throughs than me on the weekend, and that is saying something. Um, <laughs> well, I want to get through some confusion over what you know. Again, like that, they got done for a stint, a stint length, I think, at some point, but mm. um, they'd had a stop. So, what constitutes a stint? Is it to do with fuel going in the fuel tank? Is it to do with you know? I think there was an issue with craft bamboo and the same uh, on the same sort of thing. So. Um, it was a shame that we had a few of those things that kind of left a bad taste and I think a few of the international teams' mouths in terms of how the rules were set up and uh, hopefully we can sort of see that change next time around. I just want to touch on some good and some bad over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Good part of the commentary coverage was uh, amazing. Garth Tander did a lot of the heavy lifting in the box. Jesus, he got, he's got some good insight. He's He is absolutely probably top-notch one of the best commentators in the world right now. Yeah. Paul Tracy was a good... Um, addition to during the race his insight was was quite good and he's always got that laconic sort of sense of humor Chad Nalon reminded me of that guy Anthony Green from the ABC election coverage mm. telling us every 20 minutes about possible strategies and who's going to win and who's going to lose it even got to the point where Garth said I don't know why we're worried about strategy with three hours to go but he actually was quite good but let's talk about the bad your man John Heindorf I mean come on man <laughs> him and and I like Shay Adams but they were clueless on the rules around driver stints, fuel, and pit stop requirements. They should be the ones on top of it more than anyone, given you know that they travel around That's the world thing. covering this. Yep. Yeah. Um, and the coverage also used Jack Perkins for colour pieces in the crowd, which is kind of like ploughing a potato field with with a Porsche for mine. I think uh, Jack does a pretty good job with a mic in his hand. He's very good, yeah. Seeing him up on top of the mountain and trying to find some interesting people to talk to, well, it probably wasn't his uh, cup of tea. I don't mind if I never see another Vortex race again, to be honest, AVL. I mean, that uh, thing was a mobile chicane all day. It was rough as guts up close if you went and had a good look at it. Um, but I've got to give their drivers a shout-out. The ability to get in everyone's way for 12 hours is a rare skill. Um, GT4s seem to add danger and uncertainty to the races. Um, the drivers spend more time looking in their mirrors than Mark Warburg on chess day. It, it, like, mate, you just kept waiting and waiting for something big to happen. I, I know that nothing really did, but I think it's a matter of time. Uh, I know people say you've got to show patience and everything else. The BMW nearly went over the top of the wall at um, the cutting, obviously, tapping a GT4 Janetta. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I just wish the race didn't have to rely on GT4s, to be fair. I don't know. I kind of feel like the slower cars add some interest at some point as well. Like, when you do have a pack of GT3 cars at the front and they're bunched up by a safety car, it is interesting when you see them come across a slower car. So, I'm a bit split on that. I kind of get what you're saying i got to say, I wouldn't actually want to race one of those things. Like It must be incredibly frustrating just oh. staring in your mirrors the whole time. And I think that was probably a bit of an eye-opener for Chaz Mostert <clears throat> on the weekend, having to do that, mm. having to drive around and do nothing but look in his mirrors. He's not normally the guy at Bathurst that's in that position. Yep. Um, so I just I, I can't see any interest in actually going out there and racing one. But I do see how they can create a bit of interest in the race because, again, there were times on Sunday where – you start to think, wow, this this could potentially not be all that interesting if it isn't for factors like that. And I guess some of those things do, you know, help bring some safety cars along and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, look, I get your point, but I think I think you kind of need to leave them in there to create a bit of jeopardy out there. I get that, which brings me to my next point: is the quality of the field was amazing. The the, the quality of driver in that field was genuinely world-class, obviously. Yeah. But, geez, another 10 GT3s wouldn't go on this, would it? And yeah. what I'd do for a car that wasn't from Germany. Um, yeah. The other thing, the super van? Eh, I don't know, man. It didn't really grab me, even though I get it, it's rapid and everything else. But, yeah, I don't know. That that whole thing seems a little bit sort of light on, as did the two, two support categories. Had a few people grabbing my ear over the weekend, especially up the top. People were saying there's just a lot of downtime. Um, but overall, cracking meeting, um, cracking race in the end. Like you say, a bit of rain didn't hurt. But um, yeah, once again, BMW's found a way to lose a race. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, that was certainly pretty spectacular the way that uh, that imploded for them there, particularly with that lead car. Um, not there's been a lot of debate about you know who was in the wrong there um, with Charlie Wirtz trying to go around the outside of that Janetta. Um, I certainly think that Janetta took a pretty interesting line um, towards the outside. Mm. The BMW could have left a bit more room. You know, one of those things, like tough tough one to call. But, um, yeah, look, it would have been great to see Valentino on the podium. And there was a massive oh. shout there. I mean, that, that moment towards the end there where 
I think it was Maxi Martin in the car. Yeah, and he really got left in that awkward position where he had to have a go around the outside there, but it was quite predictable how it played out. But with that run, what do you do? Like, you've just got to go for it. Um, So I sort of felt for him there because it's like it really didn't work out, but what else do you do? You can't get that run and not have a a go at it and attack it exactly like that. There was really nowhere else for him to try and get something done. Passing is obviously incredibly difficult in these cars. Um, but yeah, it didn't it didn't pay off, and um, and Chris Harzer really looked like a hero in that one. Like he and he was perfectly placed to just benefit from it, and then executed that and took that opportunity really really well. Um, but yeah, that would have been amazing to see uh, see Valentino on the on the podium. I the one per the one group of people that probably cheered on that Grillo Porsche louder than anyone were the model car sellers around Australia who were sweating on not a third uh, Sun Energy win in a row in the same livery. Mm. I mean, very hard to sell three lots of the same car, but... Um, it's a heck of a livery too with those big flames on the front. It, really it is, is, but uh, after after you got one of them, yep. not sure you need three of them. So mm. uh, I'm sure the model car sellers from all around Australia were quite happy as well. Yeah. All right, let's go to this shift cut. Let's go to some time certain sort of stuff because that's about to start this weekend. Mm. So the first topic I thought we'd touch on is supercars have declared parity. We've achieved it, kind of. Mm. Uh, I believe that's that's a fair, fair thing to say. Now yep. on the weekend when the GT3s will dish out parity adjustments like Oprah Winfrey hands out new cars, you get 10 kilos, you get a 1,000 less revs, you get a smaller petrol tank. Supercars has declared aerodynamic parity ahead of this weekend's 2024 season opener. Only took 12 months to achieve. Uh, conducting further engine validation work by way of demonstration sessions at the Repco Bathurst 12-hour, um, whilst at the same time declaring the aero packages are as close to even as possible. Um, that aero parity has been signed off by supercars. is arguably not especially uh, surprising considering the investment in wind tunnel testing, which is considered world's best practice. Um, on the weekend, the fastest lap for a Red Bull was 2.075, and for the Shell V-Power Mustang was a 2.077 from all reports. Supercars technical boss, the happy-go-lucky Tim Edwards said, our intention is to run more sensors on more cars more of the time over this year because that's the only way we can make an educated assessment of where the technical parity lies between the two cars. In addition to the already announced torque sensors and uh, pilot tubes on the 87 Monaro, Camaro and the 11 Mustang, uh, were running laser, they were running laser ride height sensors and G sensors. And if anyone knows anything about G sensors, it's me, AVL. Mm. I can sense a G from miles away. <laughs> that's... That is very impressive and unsurprising. This is a really interesting one. Um, we got a statement from Supercars regarding parity late last week, and the gist was that aero is all good and squared away, although that seemed to come as a bit of a shock to Triple Eight. Uh, while the statement very carefully said that engines have been signed off on not exceeding the AEP, which is the accumulated engine power. So basically a decision has been made that the Ford engine won't be allowed to exceed the AEP. That is something that has been campaigned for from time to time. But the spec of the engine and a few things like shift cut deltas are still being worked through pretty much as we speak right now. Um, Despite what you might read elsewhere, I feel like everyone wants us to be wrong about something at the moment, but um, (laughs) we are likely to see shift cut deltas. What happens when you get big, my friend, is what happens when you Uh, lead the pack. uh, We're we're likely to see some shift cut delta tweaks over the Bathurst 500 weekend, simply because supercars absolutely cannot be left with dealing with any sort of notable parity issue this weekend. Like, not after all that money that's been spent on the wind tunnel, you know? So... It may be a case that the cars roll out in practice with the same shift cut um, and there's no difference in the recovery, but um, if needed, they will bring back, you know, that Band-Aid solution because a Band-Aid is absolutely better than nothing. And if there is a difference in the straight line speed, Bathurst is obviously the place that you absolutely can't hide from that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we do, um, if we do. Well, look, the plan is to use shift cuts if they need to use shift cuts, even if some people are saying otherwise. I don't know who you're talking about, but... The day of reckoning for the V8 detective is on its way. Mm. All right, the um, the next topic at hand is, and I think it's even bigger than this topic. Is there's been dicks drawn all over Bathurst yep. uh, on the same weekend that some idiot went absolutely apeshit putting full credit to the noise stickers <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> 
Oh, we said that's a massive coincidence. (laughs) It's a massive coincidence. The dick story, not well-timed. But at Bathurst 12-hour organisers face an unusual issue, writes uh, Andrew Van Leeuwen from Speed Cafe, with graffiti during last weekend's running of the event. There were reports of graffiti at almost all points of the circuit (laughs) perpetrated each evening once the track had opened. Instances were heightened in comparison to past Bathurst 12-hours with organisers forced to put on extra security at night. Not unheard of for the Bathurst 1000, of course, but a first for the round-the-clock GT race. Mm. The focus of the graffiti seemed to be drawings of, I'll, I'll put this lightly, male genitalia, or as I like to call it, the old cock and balls, or as I also like to know it, Ted Kravitz and David Croft. Um, but i tell you something now. This is the way this 12-hour event seems to be heading over the past few years. At night up there at the mountain, you've got Aston driving yobbos, doing circle work in the ball ring. Porsche fans at the top of the mountain asking girls to show us your take hands and Mercedes fans throwing empty bottles of Grange at the coppers up on the hill. Thank God this weekend there's a return to some decorum at the mountain when those wholesome supercar fans come and support their race, go to bed at eight and just keep everything nice and straight and clean. This was my favourite story of the weekend, to be honest. And there were rumblings about it all over the weekend, you know, about this extra security coming on. I have seen some photos of some of the artwork and it is... It is some of Banksy's finest. It is excellent. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's wonderful. And, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I just couldn't help doing that story. It was just too too interesting to – and it's funny, like, the guys from Sign Event who do all the signage and, you know, the, they're up there today basically converting the circuit from 12-hour spec to, to Bathurst 500 spec. Uh, Mark, who runs the show there, he said, like um, – genuinely like it was two hours work every night and three hours work the next morning to go and cover Jeez. up all of the uh it's actually like it's not great really it's it, there should be some probably be some harsh penalties for it's it it's hard not it's, to laugh at any time you see cock and balls laugh. in the it's wrong just, place there's, there's not many funnier things in life really at the end of the day and but let's just admit it and i asked that guy at bunnings for you today and he said try terps to get the spray paint <laughs> off your hands mate um <laughs> The next story, it comes um, comes to us, and I tell you something now. This is big. The Wiggles are performing mm. at Bathurst. I mean, it's a match made in heaven. Last year at the Singapore Grand Prix, they had Robbie Williams, Post Malone, Kings of Leon, Adelaide Five Hundred is rumoured this year to have Coldplay. Jeez, I mean, Coldplay and Adelaide has it been a more likely combination? Start listening to <laughs> La Vida Loca, and you'll have bodies stuffed back into barrels over there before breakfast time. But suffering your jocks, Adelaide and Singapore, you might get the big names, but no two events go hand-in-hand more than the Bathurst 500 and the Wiggles. Songs like Fruit Salad, something I've never seen served up the top at Red Tops, unfortunately, AVL. Hot Mm. Potato, Wake Up Adrian, the Erebus song, Toot Toot Chugga Chugga Big Bear Car. I mean, it's... Are you excited? Just tell me you're excited. It's... It is definitely a big departure from what we saw this weekend with the the graffiti going on around the place in terms of um, age appropriateness. But it's, um, I think, we're actually having a discussion about this uh, over dinner before. It's kind of one of those things that it's been made to feel like a really bad decision because of the timing of the announcement. I mean, it basically happened, I don't know if it was the same day, but it was certainly within a day or so of the news about... Um, you know, the whole thing with Brody going on. Mm. Um, everyone was waiting with bated breath for supercars to do something and they announced the Wiggles were coming to Bathurst. Like it was um, <laughs> it was just terrible timing <laughs> for something that and, and it sort of turned it into a joke that it didn't really need to be. So, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of, you know, it's there's a, a lot of people out there that will enjoy that. It's a good thing for a lot of the families that live here in Bathurst and uh, for that to sort of, for this event to bring something like that to them. But... Um, it certainly was has been made to just feel like a really bad look just because of the timing on it, which isn't actually necessarily anybody's fault. Yeah, if you uh, do get to go and see the Wiggles, or if you run across them, say hello to Anthony uh, the Blue Wiggle, one of the one of life's great men. Um, he's a tremendous bloke. Tell him I said to say hello. He knows me, and um, asking for a loan because he has more money than God. Let me tell you. Mm. All right, the next topic. The Bathurst International is deader than Elvis. I don't think that was the exact headline I read in Speed Cafe, but let's just run with it. The super cheap Bathurst Auto Bathurst International. I'll say that again. The super cheap Auto Bathurst International has been dropped from the TCR World Tour, raising question marks over the event's long-term um, future. The decision was announced on Saturday via the Super Cheap Auto TCR Australia Series website as Barry Rogers met with Bathurst Regional Council to inform them of developments. It's believed that the decision is cost-related, really, which is consistent with um, 
their statement that reads in part that WSC has advised ARG of its decision more than eight months ahead of the first scheduled Australian round after forward planning highlighted the increased challenges for the World Tour teams to commit to sending multiple race cars and associated infrastructure to Australia. The International remains on the um, super cheap TCR Australian Series calendar, but the extra race Sydney round has been moved. It's not unreasonable to start asking questions, I would have thought, AVL, about the future of the Bathurst International. Yeah, that's right. This is a pretty interesting one, former, you know, the... the the Bathurst International isn't actually dead. So we know that the TCR World Tour isn't coming here this year. Uh, they have, as you pointed out, cited cost and concerns over freight, which does make some level of sense given there's a whole bunch of GT cars floating in the South China Sea that were meant to be racing here last weekend. Um, but, you know, the event isn't quite over yet. It will go ahead this year, and I guess ARG will try and get some international drivers over to at least give it a bit of an international feel. Um, but the international mm-hmm. isn't actually dead. Will it work? No. Last year's international was pretty ropey in terms of interest. Uh, and this will be a step backwards, <laughs> which is obviously not good. Uh, what is really fascinating is what happens moving forwards. This is the last year of the original five-year deal between ARG and the Bathurst Regional Council. My understanding is that within the next couple of weeks, ARG is to present its plan for the next five years if it wants an extension. And there is some resistance in the council, so it's going to need to be a good plan for it to keep the event, if, can, if council isn't convinced, well, the fifth event either gets shelved again or it goes out to tender again. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, I went to both those meetings last year. The best one was the one under lights at Easter Creek. Yeah. That was the better of the two. Yeah. The one up at Bathurst, mate, that was a long couple of days. Only the Bathurst 500 was in comparison, but I still think the International was the worst of the two meetings. Mm. Um so yeah, I, I like. I hope something comes along. I actually like TCR. I hope something can be done to sort of keep that rolling. But at the same time, geez, this might not be it. All right, Coca Cola returning to Tickford AVL. Shots mm. have been fired because the return of the famous Coca Cola Mustang might be on its way. With Tickford unveiling Tommy Randall's Castrol Mustang, complete with rear quarter panel covered in Coke signs. Tommy Randall, by the way. Is there any dirt on this bloke, AVL? You get the good oil. You know him. Surely he's not as squeaky clean as we all think. He is. I mean, he's yeah. a good look. He's a good looking rooster. He's a race car driver. He's a business owner. He kicked Kansas ass. Mums love him. Daughters want to be loved by him. Are we sure he doesn't kick kittens or no. whistle to blind blokes' dogs or something? I mean, no. He's, give us something. He's he's as nice as you uh, as he comes across as. Uh, unfortunately, it is quite infuriating, and he's becoming quite a oh, fast race car driver as well in a supercar, which is. Um, which is quite a thing as well. Um, yeah, this whole uh, Coca-Cola thing is quite interesting, really, because obviously there's already a big tie-up between Tickford and Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners through the monster backing on Cam Waters' car. is the same company that provides that backing. Um, but this is actually a new deal um, because apparently it was done so late that both cars were already packed in the transporter the night before the livery launch when they went to shoot the video out at Ford's Proving Grounds. Yep. And they had to pull both cars out of the truck because uh, Tom's car was at the front, was it was in front of uh, Cam's car. So they had to pull them both out so they could rewrap Tom's car. So like well, it all happened insanely late. Um, that they put this deal together, but yeah, certainly fascinating to see uh, to see Coca Cola back in the sport so quickly in quite a significant way on the side of that Castrol Mustang. Well, it's good news that they aren't lost to the support after, like you said, after leaving Erebus. The back of that car has got me hoping for a return of that famous '69 Coca Cola Moffat Mustang. Tickford, of course, were once the home of Pepsi, of all things now hosting Coca-Cola. Meanwhile, Erebus are set to announce their new cola partner, LA Ice, which is good news as well. <laughs> uh, yep. All right. All right. This next one. Got to be very careful how we do this. Um, so just, I've just titled it Christian Horny. I mean Horner. That's uh, over at Red Bull Formula One. It's all hands on deck. And I said deck. Mm-hmm. Um, F1 bosses have demanded clarity on the deepening crisis surrounding embattled Red Bull team principal Christian Horner. So F1 themselves have been becoming involved in this. Um, the sport has remained silent since news of investigation into Horner's inappropriate conduct broke a fortnight ago. But now F1 have started giving them the hurry up around what's going on with this. Um, it comes after the Dutch publication, The Telegraph, 
um, which broke the original story of the investigation, have published explosive new allegations. The investigation was indeed of a sexual nature, and I'll say that again, alleged, um, that Horner had tried to cover it up by making a $1.25 million hush offer to the employee. I say that thing again, alleged. Um, the publication claimed to have seen WhatsApp messages of a sexual nature between Horner and the employee sent over a considerable period of time. It also claimed the messages were presented to the, an external barrister conducting the interview who was hired by the Energy giant following the initial complaint in December 23. It's understood Horner was afforded an opportunity to leave the team voluntarily before the allegations were made public with a £650,000 payout to the individual who has made the allegation against him internally Preparations were made for such a development, though. Horner has now dug his heels in, maintaining he's done nothing wrong. He's maintained that stance throughout this. It's also at this point I'd like to point out that I and Speed Cafe want to make this patently clear that we make no allegation or suggestion to the contrary, no matter what AVL says when the mics aren't on. Yeah, yeah. look, it's a, this is a really tough one to call, and I think you've um, probably done the right thing just playing it with a straight bat and sort of outlining the facts that are being reported. Um, you know, if you do sort of believe what you read, including from Speak of AZF1 editor, uh, editor Matt Kosh, um, then, you know, th- as you pointed out, Horner was given the chance to walk away and a whole lot of hush money was offered to someone. That's not a great sign, but the fact he has dug his heels in could be construed as a sign that at least, you know, a sign of at least some sort of perception of innocence on his side. Honestly, it's a, it's a tough one to pick. I really, there's not really much you can say about this uh, without, you know, potentially getting in trouble because we really just yeah. don't know what's going on. The only other thing I'd like to add is, Ginger, if you're listening, give us a yell, no dramas whatsoever. Um, well, well, that's where we'll leave the whole Horner uh, saga. Uh, Ginger, again, if you're listening. Um, but let's go to a break, and when we come back, let's preview 2024 supercar season. Okay. Full credit to the noise. This episode of Full Credit to the Noise is brought to you by Wakefield and Buttrose Sponsorship Agents. Are you struggling to make ends meet? Is motor racing proving to be too expensive? Are you lacking in confidence in social settings? Well, not. why not head over to Buttrose and Wakefield Sponsorship Agents and let us show you how easy paying for motorsport can be. We take the hassle out of finding sponsors to go motor racing and with years of experience in all levels of motorsport, we show you how paying to race cars is dead simple. Plus, with our new marketing system we call Line by Line, we show you not only how to pay for motorsport, but also broaden your network of contacts. We guarantee that within months you'll be mixing with A-list celebrities who you'll take for a quick drive around the block in your new Audi. And not only will you be on TV for the weekends, there's a huge chance you'll be a feature story on quality Australian dramas like Crime Stoppers or Australia's Most Wanted. Wakefield and Buttrose Sponsorship Agency, because paying for race cars should be simple. I'll tell you what, that sounds like a great deal from Wakefield and Buttrose. Um... Let's let's talk about the 2024 uh, Supercars team. Oh, we'll do a teams preview. I thought everyone else is doing driver previews. Let's do let's do a team preview. I'm going to run through the teams. We'll chat about the drivers. Obviously, you tell me what tier you put them in. Now, I'm going to rank the teams in uh, order of the tiers of race car movies. Obviously, God tier is Talladega Nights. If you want to argue that yep. you're an idiot, um, close to the best is Ford versus Ferrari. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit is Days of Thunder. Hasn't aged well, I've got to say, Aviel. Mm-hmm. Gave that a run not long ago. But the dog shit, yeah, tier, too, dog shit tier is Sylvester Stallone's 2001 train wreck of a movie. They call it Rocky on Wheels, driven. Um, don't do it if you don't have to. That is a shocking, <laughs> shocking, shocking show. All right, the first team in pit lane, AVL, is um, Erebus Motorsport. Um with obviously two new drivers, Todd Hazelwood, Jack LeBrock. I don't think we have to cover off on how they lobbed there. Um, but the car number one million and car number nine, what uh, tier are we putting them in, AVL? This is a tough one to pick because as we touched on last week, there's no reason for the speed to entirely disappear, but I don't necessarily see the team as title contenders again, given all the upheaval that's actually gone on. So... I think this is a perfect fit for that Days of Thunder scenario. I think there'll be the odd good day for this team because they obviously know how to build fast-gen three cars, um, but I think there'll be some slightly tougher times ahead than uh, in terms of yep. car performance, at least, than uh, compared to last season. Yeah, I'm putting them in the Days of Thunder, to be fair. Mm. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. This is an interesting one. 
Walkinshaw, Andretti United, obviously Ryan Wood, new to the team, comes from Super 2, and um, they've got the stalwart now, the uh, senior driver in Chas Mostert. What uh, tier are we putting these guys in? This is a big year for this team. They need to prove they can run two competitive cars for starters. Um, and with Giz out, Brody out, Parity hopefully sorted, this is a huge, huge chance for WAU and for Mostert to go and win a title together. Um, I like Carl Foa's team principal. I like Ryan Wood as the rookie signing. So I'm going to be an optimist and put them in the Ford versus Ferrari bracket. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I'd even... Yeah, okay, let's do that. Uh, Blanchard Racing, uh, Aaron Love, um, Courtney's brother, and James Courtney, believe it or not. Um, both of them new to the team, going to two cars, which might be a bit of a drama around uh, resources. Where are we putting these guys? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, a lot of the team's inconsistencies in the past have been blamed on the single car model, not having the data or input from two cars and drivers. I think JC is a great signing. And honestly, I think Aaron Love is as well. I think once he gets his backside in the right supercar, he's going to be pretty mega. Is this the right supercar? That I'm not 100% sure on. I do worry that it could be a tough year for this team. I think there could be some growing pains. Um so I'm going to stick him in the Days of Thunder uh, category as well. Mm, I like, um, yeah, all right, I'll go Days of Thunder. I won't be so, won't be so negative. Um, all right, this is the one I'm interested in. Tickford Racing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Thomas Randall, everyone's favourite. And Cam Waters, 55 and Car 6, of course. Where you got him, mate? Because this, speaking of big years for Walkinshaw, I think it's equally as big for this mob. You can, you can pretty much copy-paste exactly what I said about WAU and change a few names around yep. um, and you're going to get the same answer. You know, I, I, one, one, actually another difference I'd make is I don't think there's a big query over running two cars. Um, no. The fourth Tickford car was always a bit ropey, but I think running two is going to be absolutely no problems and probably a massive advantage for this team. I think Waters is a massive title shot here um, and Trandall's been tracking in a very positive way since sort of halfway through last season as well. So, I reckon both are going to win races at some point this year, uh, and I'm going to put them in the Ford versus Ferrari uh, category. No, I've got them at Talladega Knights. This, oh, this is a very, very good lineup. Thomas is getting better and better and better. Like you say, the the results are getting closer and closer together. The good results, um, Cam. If it's now or never for mine, this this yeah. has to be the year. He has to give it a fair nudge. Um, all right, I've divided Brad Jones Racing into two tiers, uh, two teams. Okay. So eight and fourteen is Andre uh, Heimgartner, of course, and fourteen is Bryce Forward. Let's talk about those two guys. Where are we putting yep. them? Um, I think that you could probably fit them into the Days of Thunder category. Still, I, I said this at the end of last year. I expected a little more from Brad Jones Racing and Andre Heimgartner last year. Uh, not that they had any sort of shocker of a year, but I just thought they might get a bit of an upswing with the rule change to Gen 3, and that didn't really happen. And, you know, I, I probably thought that even before the Camaro had this little advantage, and I think the opportunity to capitalise on that was there, and they didn't necessarily take it for whatever reason. Um, so I reckon for that side of the BJR garage... Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a year of redemption. Um, you know they're going to have ups and downs. That's just what a team like Brad Jones Racing does. Um, but you know, forward was pretty impressive at times last year, and Andre's quality like there's no doubt about that. So mm. days of thunder, hopefully, you know, a really good version of that with a lot more good than bad. Yeah, I I, I thought that they were I thought they finished the year off a bit ordinary. To be fair. There yeah. were times where I thought, here they come. And like you said, this whole new, new the new model, the new the new generation of car, I kind of thought that, like many, that this might suit that team. And it really just yep. didn't. It didn't kick no. off like I thought. And yep. so, yeah, I think Days of Thunder is more than fair, to be fair. Yep. Um, let's talk about the next two, uh, Macaulay Jones and uh, Jackson Evans. Um, car 96, car 12, Macaulay. Please, all-you-can-eat Pizza Hut. That's your one job this year. Yep. Jackson Evans, of course, very strong last week, and I must say, very good in the Porsche. But this isn't a Porsche. This is a Camaro. What do we think? Um, I think we have a pretty decent idea where Macca sort of sits in the pecking order. Um, you know, he's he's a 
you know, he can sneak in the top 10 on a good day. Um, he probably spends most of the time sort of in the back half of the field. He's We kind of know that about him. Um, he's a good professional quality driver, but um, is he about to drag a car out the front and stick it on pole and drive away from the field? We haven't really seen signs of that being the case. Uh, Jackson, I mean, like, who, who the F knows what Jackson's going to do? He's clearly yeah. an amazing race car driver. Um, I guess it's a big test of resource because he should go reasonably good once he figures all this stuff out. Um, I think that probably BJR has been a little more consistent uh, with the four-car model than uh, Tickford has in the past, but there kind of hasn't necessarily in the in recent years been the, 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 the right um, package in terms of who's actually in the car to, to really test exactly where it kind of uh, where it kind of sits, and Jackson will provide that test at some point. So I'm still going to go Days of Thunder. I think that there'll be the odd. I think Jackson will have a, a standout result at some point this year. I don't know a bloke can be that good and not have that happen at some point. You know, and I guess that's where very similar to how I sort of feel about the um, the Blanchard Racing Team. You know, I can't imagine that JC and and, and Aaron aren't going to go the whole season just having shockers time and time again. You know, there's yep. going to be yep. the odd day that you go, Sparks. oh, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. And I think yep. I think we're going to see that from Jackson. And we like Macca will stick it in the top ten somewhere. You know, like he does do that. He he does have that ability. So I'm still days of thunder on these guys. I know you're trying to pin me into a driven, <laughs> but I'm still days of thunder. Look, the, my concern is is the four car model when we look at this these two young blokes. Like you say, with Mackie, you know what you're going to get. There will be spikes and there will be peaks and there will be troughs. Jackson, well, we don't know, but class is, you know, class shows that he probably yeah. will will have some good results. My concern is over four cars, whether we start to see a drop-off. They are the almost driven, but I'll be kind and put him in Days of Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, here's a team. Dick Johnson Racing, car 11, car 17. Anton Di Pasquale is in the 11, of course, and Will Davison is in the 17. Where do you put them? Because I've got an interesting take on this. I don't think... We talked about what a big year it is for WAU, what a big year it is for Tickford. I don't think anyone's got a bigger year ahead of them than Dick Johnson Racing and those two drivers. You know, mm-hmm. I think that... You know, they fairly, to some extent, blamed the Gen 3 development work for the lack of form last year, for the distraction of being the Ford homologation team. This should be a lot less of an issue this time around. The team can't afford another year like 2023. It just can't. This is a powerhouse team. It has become a powerhouse team. Um, Ryan Story being back should be a good thing, and the drivers absolutely should be given it their all this year because we've got Brody Kostecki on the market, We've got Kai Allen, who's very clear on the fact that he wants a full-time supercar seat in 2025. At the end of the day, both Will and Anton are out of contract. Like A full clean-out is not out of the question at all. I'm going to be optimistic and put him in Ford versus Ferrari, but I don't think a team or a pair of drivers is facing a bigger year as, as, as these guys. Absolutely agree, although I have put them in Days of Thunder. I think if these two guys don't start with... Like, honestly, this is a team who won a championship not too long ago. I know they had a a great driver at the time, and all the ducks were in a line. I get all that. I understand that. But at the end of the day, this team won't stand for the results that they brought up last year. It has to to move people on. Now, Ludo's gone. We know that. Under his own steam, obviously, but he has gone. If these guys don't at least put some uh, podiums together early in the season. I would not be surprised if they start moving on these blokes early in the year and give Kai Allen and say, well, we may as well put Kai in the car and get the same results but get him a little bit of a, a learning year. And like you say, you've got Brody there. You couldn't imagine Brody might be able to tempt Shell service stations into giving preferential treatment to Coca-Cola shelving and then next thing you know, we've got a Coca-Cola Mustang, um, which is my dream. Uh, all right, Team 18. Yeah, God. The, the t- team Celebrex. It's uh, Mark Winterbottom, obviously, in the 18. Dave Reynolds, our mate, in car 20 in the uh, tradie beer entry. Where we got him, mate? I'll tell you what. Dave Reynolds is pretty upbeat after preseason yeah, he was, testing. He? And he's, yeah, I mean, we had a chat with him together the other day. And he's genuinely, uh, he seems pretty happy. And happy Dave can be pretty fast, Dave. Um, so they've made some big highs in Adrian Burgess and Jeff Slater on the on the technical front. Um, I think there's going to be some good days for this team, and I think there's going to be some average days for this team too. So I think we're deep in 
days of Thunder Territory here with these guys. I mean, at the end of the day, like Mark Winterbottom won a race last year. The guy is a former champion. He's, he's, you know, he's not in his prime. He's probably a little past that, but um, he he is A grade. You know, he was an A grader at his absolute best. Um, yeah, I, I've got them deep in days of Thunder Territory. I think they probably. That, that, that in terms of it being sometimes good and sometimes not so good, that's that'll probably describe their season to a T. Fair call, but I do think they have the potential to get up to Ford versus Ferrari. I've got to be Ooh. honest. Dave wow. could. Dave could. I, I really was impressed with his energy on Saturday when we were talking yeah. to him. Yeah. He is champing at the bit to go racing. I think he seems happy, and like you say, Dave needs to be happy to go well. And when he when he goes well, mate, he goes very well, and he may well dra- drag Winterbottom along. Um, yeah. So for, I, I for all the for, for all the the issues with Gen Three, what it has done, and the wins for Jack LeBrock and Mark Winterbottom last year kind of show that that um, you're not sort of just destined to roll around wherever that team's hardware kind of is going to put you, like you were by the end of the Gen Two kind yep. of uh, you know that era. Um, if you're going to a back mark to what's perceived as you know a midfield or back market team before you were kind of didn't matter how hard you drove the thing that's sort of where you were going to end up whereas you know if you get something right you can actually still still go and get a race win with these things so i think that's for guys like dave making moves like this um that is how they're kind of you know that, that that's a reason to be optimistic just going hey if we have a good day there's absolutely no reason we absolutely won't be and they have employed well you know, there's some yeah. good good heads have come on board as well. So, I think they're a little bit of a sniff to really improve. They might be the biggest improver in the in the season. Oh, there you go. You were impressed Grove, with that energy. Grove Racing uh, and the six pack of tradie. That uh, anyway, um, Grove Racing car nineteen, car twenty six. Matt Payne, who finished the season like an absolute jet, and Richie Stanaway, who is obviously uh, has talent to burn. Uh, as long as things are right on the day, obviously. Where do we put these blokes? There's been a lot of good stuff building here. The team is well-staffed. I love that driver lineup. I'll make no secret yep. of that. We know now that Matty Payne is the real deal, and Richie absolutely can be if we get the right Richie. And if we get the right Richie, it will be spectacular. Um, so here's what I'm going to do, former, uh, and perhaps I'm muddying you know, what I want and what I think, um, but I'm going to go with Talladega Knights here. Um, wow. I'm going to ignore that the team did fall in a massive hole midway through last season and really mm. struggled for a long time. I'm going to focus on how they ended the season. I really want those two weird but potentially very wonderful Kiwis to have a ripper season. So I'm going to stick him in Talladega Nights and, and hope that they're going to live up to the promise of, of really becoming a powerhouse this year. Forget driving talent. Forget driving history. Forget everything. Who's the alpha? Matt Payne or Richie Stanaway? The alpha male. Whoa. I don't think either of them are alpha, <laughs> like alpha male. They're 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 quite similar. They're quite quietly spoken. Definitely, uh, sort of different kind of dudes. But um, both of them are very funny. Matt Payne is a very funny guy. Like he is a he 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 cracks me up. That bloke. Um, yeah, they're just they're, like I say. They are they're different. But I just really hope it works, and I really hope that they're kind of this is the start of a of a of a great combination at that team. All right, a few teams to go, but uh, Premier Racing, Car 23, Car 31, Tim Slade, James Golding. Might be a little bit of pressure on at least one of these blokes uh, as we head into a very interesting um, driver market at the end of this season. Mm. Where, have you, yep. where have you got them? Look, the great thing about Premier is that you get a very real gauge of how they're going right up to Darwin each year in terms of what high-profile sacking we sort of see come <laughs> along. Um, obviously, you know, they've, they've got some big signings on the, on the tech front with Ludo. Uh, which is great. They've got stability on the driver front. I think there's still work to be done there, so I'll put them in the Days of Thunder category, um, but it'll be fascinating to see what, what influence Ludo has on that team. Yeah, um, I think too. I think that's a more than fair assessment. Days of Thunder, um, it'll be a good watch that, actually, because we know the boss doesn't take... Uh, doesn't take too much shit for too for too long, nope. so that'll be correct. very interesting. All right, Matt Stone Racing, um, Nick Percat, Car Ten, Cameron Hill, Car Four. Where are we got these guys? 
You know what? There's something a little tasty about MSR this year. Like Nick Perkett was very happy after the preseason test uh, at QR a couple of weeks ago. And Nick is not one to hide his emotions well. So, you know, if he's happy, I believe that he's actually genuinely happy. Um, he obviously badly needs to rebuild his reputation. And I'm, I'm not going to put it past him to do it. To be honest, I think that he has actually got it in him, and I think he's going to have some good days this season. Um, I think he'll have a positive influence on Cam Hill as well. I think there's some similarities between them in terms of their background and their their engineering understanding. You know that Cam always ran his own cars in the junior categories. Um, you know until he got to Super Two. Nick runs his go kart team. They have that. They both have that kind of hands on approach. Um, it's hard to put MSR into a Ford versus Ferrari bracket, but I think they could, on their good days, be the very best of days of thunder. Yeah, you say uh, Nick's in a good state of mind, but he still took our sticker off his race car on the weekend, know, which was rough, wasn't it? very unimpressive. Um, I, I'm the same as you, mate. I think there's a there's a glimmer of hope there, to be yeah. honest. Um, yeah, so I, I'm the same. We'll put him in the um, days of thunder, but uh, with a chance of a Ford versus Ferrari on the on the yep. odd day. Yep. All right. The last team, but definitely not the least. 88, 87, triple eight, race engineering, Brock Feeney, Will Brown. I mean, are they the gold standard at the moment? Yeah, I think so. I don't think losing last year will have gone down too well. And I think uh, we now clearly know that Brock Feeney is absolutely the real deal. I think we could see that. Uh, in that Mercedes on the weekend at the 12 yeah, as well. Yeah, very the well. Very bloke well. is fast. Uh, so I can't go past Talladega Nights for these guys. This is a team that shouldn't get much wrong, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if Brock is holding a very big series championship trophy at the end of the year. Interesting. I, I put him definitely in Talladega Nights. I just, like, class everywhere, history, yep. everything, speed, and like you say, Brock is just bubbling nicely at the moment he'll be pretty much cherry ripe this year yeah i think i i reckon he could be uh he could be hard to beat yes all right let's head to a break when we come back i'm gonna try and get that mum's life sticker off my camera no chance no chance if you're out there forklifting bobcatting jack hammering backhoeing trenching digging drilling and persuading you want to know that if anyone is thieving your stuff that your insurance company will be timely with approving so get on to Truck Assist, the insurance to keep on earning, with cover for the machines you're hauling and your work truck too. Go to truckassist.com.au, then get back to all that persuading. Limits and exclusions apply. Consider the PDS and TMD on the Truck Assist website. Yes, welcome back. Well, um, oh, before, I, before I go into anything else, uh, one of the things we used to do on our old podcast that actually a few people have actually already asked can we do on this podcast is um, a segment called Grab a Mirror. We might call it Grab a Rearview Mirror, but we'll see how we go. Um, where we basically point the stick at some people who just need to go ho- go and grab a mirror and have a good hard look at themselves. So we might bring that into was, next week. It was one of the best ever full credit to the boys segment. It used to be the death of me, I've got to be honest, AVL. But um, <laughs> we might just do a top three just to start it off with to yeah. break ourselves in because I'm telling you, that is a segment that will actually ruin your life. Um, but It'll potentially be at the death of me when I get to the paddock after we do for the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck. Someone's a massive tear up. But good anyway, that's, uh, we'll, we'll deal with that when I we get there. I feel here. like you might be... Pointing some sticks at some people overseas just to uh, so it makes your job a little bit easier <laughs> on your day to day. But let's go to this. Will I lie to you? Uh, there's a mum's life sticker uh, coming onto one of our cars, and I am not in good shape at the moment. You are up two nil. Yeah, I'm going to make a statement, Avil. You mm-hmm. simply tell me: is it a lie or is it a fact? Let's talk about the very first Indy 500, the Great oh, Race. Okay, back on the Indy 19, 500. Okay, 1911. I've yep. done some research. Mm-hmm. Now. Every car, there was 40 entrants, mm-hmm. bar one, had a driver and an observer. One car had three, a driver, a forward observer, and a rear observer. And mm-hmm. that car won by three quarters of a lap. True or false? This is a tough one. This is a really... I felt like I was pretty confident with where I went for the last two. It's interesting because I, I realise now where they got spotters from. I didn't realise the spotters were sitting in the cars at the time. But well, uh, no, they, we I are. mean, they used to take... I mean, that was part of motor racing. Like, you took your mechanic with you to yeah. you know, sort stuff out along the way. So, um, I, I I think it's not true. I think it's not true. You're going the lie? Yeah, I think you're telling a lie. I don't think anyone had two spotters in the car. 
or two whatever in, observers. I am in big trouble. We are now at 3-0 <sighs> because I went the wrong way. The 40th car, Ray Haroon, he took the outrageously risky decision to drive alone. He didn't oh. have... He was by himself. Now, Haroon drove a bright yellow car. He had built himself and experimented with an eight, get this, eight inch by three inch, you know how big that is, mirror on a stand fixed to his dashboard instead of having an observer. <laughs> it's believed that he was the first use of a rear view mirror in any race uh, season. And being one person lighter and more aerodynamic, Haroon's car easily won the race by more than half a mile. There you go. Now, this is, I love this game. I love this game. I'm, I'm get, I've got the panics. I've got to be honest. Have you got the Mum's Life sticker, or am I, can I get this? Can I design oh, I know this myself? I know somebody can make one for us. Yeah. I know somebody can make it for I'm us. Designing um, it. I'm designing it. All right, let's go to our fan letter of the week, um, and this one is from a guy on Twitter at mp six eight six eight, and he simply simply asks you, Avl, not mm-hmm. me. I don't know why he doesn't want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, don't forget, of course, you can send your uh, any of your letters to us on Twitter at fcttn podcast or me uh, at former underscore legend on Twitter or Instagram. He's just asked this. Hey, AVL, are DJR going to be a force this year or has the withdrawal of Penske left them in the mid-pack forever? It's probably a bit unfair given parity, uh, given they had to do deal stuff with parity, but it looks like they are on the slide. Yeah, I mean, we covered this off a bit in the team's preview. Obviously, you know, the parity thing was a bit of a double whammy for DJR last year because not only... Did they have, you know, the fact that the the Mustang wasn't overly competitive, but it was kind of their job to do a lot of the grunt work to fix that in terms of, you know, um, going out testing, trialing things, actually trialing things on their own test days and that sort of stuff. So they've been pretty vocal about the fact their focus wasn't really on uh, car performance. It was more on trying to sort of that, that role as the homologation team for Ford in supercars. You know, the, the Penske thing's an interesting thing because obviously a lot of investment came from Penske during the Gen 2 era. You know, the, you know Penske and Ford yep. Performance were heavily involved in the development of that Gen 2 Mustang, and we know what an absolute weapon that was. And the DJR version of it was the absolute benchmark version of it. So probably, you know, once that Penske uh, influence left the team, there was going to be a bit of carryover throughout the Gen 2 uh, for as long as we were running Gen 2 cars. But the switch to Gen 3, there's literally sort of no... You know, there's 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 a next to no direct Penske DNA. I, I think the teams are still actually quite close, but that DNA is obviously just not there like it was with the Gen Two car. So I, I think that is a reasonable factor to take in uh, as well. But you know, as we touched on, that's that's a team that uh, expects a lot more. Um, having Ryan Story back will make a big difference because he's a pretty hard taskmaster that bloke, and he's a he's a pretty uh, he's not great at losing either. So you know, he's going to want to get in there and, and, and drag that team back to the front. I don't think they're necessarily on a massive slide. I think there is the possibility that they'll turn things around a bit this year. I think there's a very good chance we're going to see at least one new driver there for 2025, which will also potentially sort of shake things up and, and give, them a bit of, uh, give them a bit of fresh enthusiasm uh, to go out there and get some results. So it, it's an arrestable slide. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But, you know, as we touched on before, there's not a team facing a bigger 2024 than than those guys. Yeah, and even though you didn't ask me MP6868, duly noted, by the way, um, I, I I think I think they've got the staggers, to be honest, and I'll, I'll be happy to be proved wrong. But as a bloke said to me who loves DJR the other day up on top of the mountain, he said to me, I wonder whether Anton has that killer instinct that someone like Scotty does. I don't think anyone's doubting his talent, but he just, I don't know, he just seems nonchalant, let's just say. Yeah, lovely bloke, lovely bloke, Anton. Very good race car driver, we definitely know that. But, um, you know, someone like Scotty was just at such an insane level. If you look at what he yeah. did to, you know, his proven race winner, Fabian Coulthard, very good guy at driving race cars, was courted by this team because they knew he'd come in and do really well. Um, and Scotty came in there and destroyed him you know like yep. you know push car development in directions that he knew fabian couldn't deal with like you know played every aspect of the game better because he was just that's how he goes about the business um and that's why he's a three-time champion and that's why he's you know doing so well in indycar um, because just a tough tough bloke to follow yeah like following bradman into bat in it like it's just a tough gig yeah it's like being max verstappen's teammate like very similar 
very similar approach to dealing with the uh, the guy sitting in the car across the garage from you. Well, that'll about do us this uh, third episode of Full Credit of the Noise. Don't forget, you can find the show on all the socials at FCTTN Podcast. You can read ABL's excellent big breaking news. Head over to Speed Cafe. Uh, until next time, I've been former legend. He's been ABL. This has been Full Credit of the Noise. We'll see you at Bathurst. Full Credit of the Noise.